Jerkoffs, we are back in black. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm choosing a reference. Some some ACDC there, but maybe it's because there's an Australian comedy show coming up this Sunday at the Backyard Comedy Club. If you haven't seen an ACDC show yet, I highly recommend it. This month's lineup is absolutely the best one we've ever had with a couple of people who are just in town for a minute. Danielle Walker and Bonnie Tangy. Uh, they're they're in there. They're super funny, uh, as well as Ray Badron, who is a favorite of the show. I'll be there hosting. If you want to come check out a show, because uh, I'm back in London finally. I've got one more European show this Thursday uh, in Poland. Getting getting down to Warsaw, which a Polish ex girlfriend told me is what they call Warsaw. Um, got I got my last show there. But yeah, it was just I just spent a week. In the Netherlands, uh, last episode, I put it up when I was out there in Amsterdam. Um, yeah, I just got back. I just got back, did a show in Eindhoven, and then two shows in Amsterdam, and then three shows in one day in The Hague, or Den Haag, as they like to call it. I didn't do any mushrooms or weed. I thought about it. I was, I was tempted because, you know, you're, you're in Amsterdam, you're kind of like, I may as well, just because it seems easy, you know? Whenever you're thinking about doing, doing anything illegal, there's always like, you got to meet a guy, you got to get a number, all that kind of shit. Whereas in Amsterdam, you just wander into a coffee shop. Uh, I was there with my girlfriend, I found it really funny. She just thought Amsterdam had heaps of coffee shops. I'm not even kidding. I don't know how she missed the memo on that one. But yeah, she was like, the reefer coffee shop. That's a bit of a weird name for a coffee shop. And I was like, that, but that's where they sell reefer. And then she said, what's reefer? And I was like, fair enough. Okay, I guess. She's just not too into that kind of thing. But yeah, the shows were cool. Uh, I had heard plenty about Dutch audiences leading up. Uh, but they, they were generally pretty good. I got to say, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it's weird. It was weird seeing because like I, I did a kind of international show which is like kind of pitched at expats and stuff so you get a lot of like not necessarily english people or australian or american people but people who are quite international like they're from different parts of europe uh so they're kind of their english is pretty good they're like not expecting you to talk about anything dutch or orange which is the same thing uh and yeah they were they were good but like the actual the actual dutch show like it was weird with them as a crowd because you were just like i have no idea what these guys are into like there was one comedian who did this long bit about fucking a cow <laughs> just genuinely just like maybe five minutes plus like a bunch of callbacks to it just like fucking a cow and the audience didn't mind it i think in the uk if you do like a big kind of cow or australia you do like a big cow fucking act out people are going to be like well it wasn't really for me, uh, but in those, they, were, they were all about it, man. Well, not all about it. I don't think I heard a single joke that they were all about. Uh, they're not. They're not the most energetic bunch. Not that they're not. That they're not enjoying it. They just don't give you a lot of energy. Like I think, if you're talking energy in terms of crowds, probably goes like American, uh, then like English, or maybe like Scottish above English. And then Australian below that. And then like way below that is the Dutch. Like another another bunch of rows 
Like even even the the Estonians were a bit more into it than the Dutch. Uh, yeah, but they they're listening. It's it's weird. Like they really they keep listening no matter what. Like I, even when I'm in a crowd, man. Like and I I like comedy and I like comedians and you know if someone's kind of boring for two minutes, I'll probably tune out for at least a little bit. The Dutch man, as soon as you as soon as you back on what they're into, they're back involved. They they don't they don't they don't slip up. They get their they get their money's worth. Uh, they listen to every word. That's a that's a Dutch stereotype, apparently. That they that they don't like paying for stuff. They don't tip. The Dutch. I never thought I'd have specific Dutch stereotypes, but here we are. But no, I just want to say a big a big shout out to Joe Egan for hooking that up. I'm also doing a show for him in Luxembourg. That's right, the massive country of Luxembourg or the Principality. I'm not really sure what it technically is, Luxembourg, but I'm doing a show there April 27th. And then these aren't confirmed yet, but I might be in Sweden in October. Yeah, bit a bit of Sweden. I assume Sweden similar to Dutch. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just lumping all this stuff together. I don't know. The Dutch man, they're they're all right. They're all right. But look, I'm just saying that I'm glad to be back in the UK doing some UK crowds. Because uh, you know what they know about. Because with yeah, another another thing when I was at that um, the 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 show in Amsterdam, like the kind of the English speaking night in Amsterdam rather than international night, like there was some weird racial stuff happening. Like if you kind of like what I noticed with European crowds, they kind of like they just want you to list different stereotypes about european countries kind of like just like oh can you imagine if this guy was german oh can you imagine if this guy was french like they love that they cannot get enough of that and i mean it's fine like but it's it's just weird as like an outsider when you're like i don't really i don't really differentiate between any of you if i'm being honest i just kind of lump you in as europe and know you have weird breakfasts. That's all. <laughs> That's all I think about with Europe. I'm like, you guys, you guys do breakfast weird. Uh, but good sandwiches though, man. They know how to make some bread over there. I'll tell you that. Uh, and I got some ribs at the. It was called Cannibal Cannibal Royale. It was this really good rib place. If you're in Amsterdam. I want to just give it a shout out. They they did nothing for me. Uh, they gave me zero money, zero endorsements. But if you're in Amsterdam, Cannibal Royale. Great hamburger, great ribs, good time. All right, let's get into this episode. Um, oh yeah, just one one last thing. Um, if you do like the podcast, it's my new thing. Remember, tell a person, tell someone else about it. Send them a message or send me a message. Have a chat to me. I'd love to hear from you at Dan Muggleton on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can get at me via email, muggletondaniel at gmail.com. That's how to get in touch with me, muggletondaniel at gmail.com. But now... Let's get into the goddamn Union Jackoff. This week's guest is Adam Bloom, London comedian Adam Bloom. This guy is pure London. He grew up in the suburbs. He moved into the city, lived in Soho, lived like right next to Buckingham Palace. And then he did the proper thing when he had kids and moved out to the suburbs again, even further out, way out in the suburbs so he could have some kid space. Uh, he is an absolute comedy machine, uh, as I'm sure you will realize quickly in this episode. This guy lives it. He breathes it. He's like a he's like a joke encyclopedia, a comedy 
anecdote. Like he he could just do a podcast on his own of comedy anecdotes, man. This guy is so deep in it. He knows everybody. He's done everything. He's told me about being on tour with Jim Jeffries in Tel Aviv. He's done things for the troops. He's done like very early Melbourne International Comedy Festival. He's done the Sydney uh, Opera House. Everything. Uh, a really fascinating dude with a very unique mind. Uh, it, it, uh, it took some time to get him to talk about himself because he loves to quote and he loves to tell me all the interesting stuff and he doesn't find himself that interesting. But hey, we got there and I'm sure you guys are going to be interested to hear what Adam has to say. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen of the Union Jackoff, you jerk-offs, you heroes, here is my chat with Adam Bloom. I know, I know with you, literally any sentence could become interesting. <laughs> that, is, that is your gift. Ed Beaumont said to me, everything I say is either funny or informative. <laughs> isn't that a nice thing to say about somebody? That is a very nice thing to say that's about somebody. The, that's one of the nicest things. I've, and also, because he's a very intelligent bloke, it's his, he's processed that and comes to that conclusion. I've known him for 25 years as well, so he, he knows right. me as well as anyone in the industry. You've been informing does. him for 25 years <laughs> or making him laugh. Yeah, or failing to make him laugh with information. There you go. That's true. I mean, that's, that's always nice, right? If you don't make an audience laugh, at least they walk away learning something. Oh, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I th- no, I, I actually agree. I think some jokes that aren't that funny but make you go, I didn't know that. Actually, at least you get... A, I mean, if someone's failing to make you laugh talking about something you know, then nothing's happening. At least if they go, you know, I was in, uh, I was in you know, whatever. I was in um, Somalia. And, you know, they've got a population of 2 million people, but yet there's... 15,000 you go okay then there's a shit joke and you will great at least at least you got engaged. some facts well yeah at least at that moment you're it's almost a cheap trick in a way isn't it because you're being engaged with information rather than humour yeah that, that hooks you well that's why I refuse to reveal anything on stage not a single piece of information has ever left my lips actually no actually I got a thing at the moment where I say where I say a statistic but it's important to me that people know that I didn't look that up someone told me and I've passed it off as my own because, because I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think I've researched. I don't want anyone to think I've I've read. <laughs> you look you know? like you've read that. I know that's the thing. Most people kind of assume I'm saying intelligent things because I wear glasses. That's it. And the voice. I think the tone of voice. Well, you know, uh, you know that your voice is educated in Australia, but we don't. It's true. Well, I tell, I tell people. Bloke. You told me. <laughs> yeah. You do know I'm educated, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you, like, said, you, you, you are where my accent is uh, educated Australian. But no, it's it's interesting. I mean, I had a girlfriend from Brazil years ago. Mm. And uh, she was from a very working class area and uh, poor family. And I had no knowledge of her. All I heard was a sexy Brazilian accent. Right. If she had, and I, I don't use the word chav, but I, if she <laughs> had what people would describe as chav, if she had a very... I, I'm on thin ice now. Wait, why, she, why, why don't you say the word chav? That's what I'm interested I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, because chav is looking down on a part of a culture. You know, it... Someone can have a working class accent and be articulate and intelligent and just because they drop their H's doesn't mean they're not they're not giving across uh, right. all the intellect and all the interesting things that come from an intelligent person. But when people say Chavi, it kind of it's almost it has connotations looking down on working class people. Someone else would say, No, Adam. Chav is a certain type of working class. That, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. It, I thought it, like the, the working class people who've made a who've made a choice to invest heavily in bus tickets and knives. You know what I mean? It's a bit like Chris Rock does that whole thing about there's a, the difference between black people and 
Yeah. And that bit. And it's a monumental routine. Yeah, yeah, of and, course. And it's beautiful because he's actually playing to an all black audience and he's slagging off black people. But that is the equivalent of Chav. He's using that, that word. I was about to say the N word, but I've already said it now. Uh, <laughs> but I'm quoting him. I'm quoting you him. You are quoting him. But the thing is, that, that is, I suppose, yeah. So, okay. Um, it, 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 if she had an accent that reminded me in England of yeah. people that people call Chavs, you, I would find that off-putting. But the fact of the matter is, all I heard was a Brazilian accent. That, my point is you're non-judgmental of foreign people's accents. All you know is the country they're from, and that's it. Right. So you could be a working-class kid from Australia, from the countryside, who's worked really hard to even get his airfare over here. I don't know that. I can't listen to you and go, oh, rich fucking wanker. Right. <laughs> but I, you can't. Like, you can't sell it all. Like say someone I, like I, someone I, like Alice Fraser, you know Alice Fraser. No, no. You don't know Alice. I, I know there's Ocker and there's City. That's it. That's it. Oh, urban and rural. I mean, you know, Sydney and Melbourne have got probably slightly different accents, but for a country that size, you've got very. Look at. I mean, you go from Wolverhampton to Dudley, and there's a different accent. Then you know, over to Birmingham, you know, you can tell where people live almost by the square foot. Yeah, well, um, I, I have a I have a joke very much explaining both of those, but I like there's a there's a Brendan Burns thing which I've heard is great. Whereas like he's one of my best friends, you know. I did not know that. Yeah, well, he's Australian Australian comedian Brendan Burns. If you're not aware, um, he has this great joke about you know the accents here are like so specific, like a, like eventually people are going to be like, wait, that accent? Are you from Bob's house? Like like right, that right. that niche? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I'm probably yeah. butchering the joke. No, no, but, no. It's, it's funny. Um. Yeah, Brendan's great. Brendan's, um, he's interesting because Brendan, Ed Byrne and I were getting on 96. We'd only begun two years and Brendan wasn't getting on. So we were getting all the, you know, sell out Edinburgh shows and the TV spots and Brendan was being left in the, in the dark. He never once got bitter, never once didn't look pleased for us. That's nice. And, That's you know, a rare thing, I yeah, think, it is to a be rare genuinely thing. pleased for everybody else. When I did the, my first Just For Last Gala 2001, he sat me in his hotel room for in, in about an hour in the afternoon, making me go through my set verbatim and slowing down on the bits he felt that Canadians wouldn't hear because I rush a bit, right? Yeah. And um, and I had a, probably a, a much better gala than I would have done without Brendan. And, you know, some people would be like, mm, why haven't I got a gala? Why have you got a gala? He just wasn't like that. And then when he won the Edinburgh Award in 2007... I cried for him with joy. Oh, I was going to think out of like pure jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how the tables turn. No, I, because I'd watched him yeah. living in mine and Ed's shadows for years and years and years. You know, you, you've got people selling out big rooms and you're still doing these little rooms and not getting them in. And he, came, he just kept at it. And what's beautiful is, you know, he found his audience. He's not for everyone. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just a, a beautiful example of perseverance and not being bitter. You know, it's not a race. Um, you know, there's that phrase comics say it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Simon Munnery said it's not even a race, it's a dance. It's a dance. Yeah. I like that. So I, I came out of a uh, heckle put down uh, and I asked Munnery for his permission to use the analogy because mine was based on his analogy, but mine was a joke rather than a poetic thing. Uh, and I'll tell you what it was so his was informative yours was making someone laugh I, yeah but I had to ask his permission <laughs> he was very happy for me to use it because sure. he, he didn't say it on stage ever right uh, so the line was I've only done this once once you've yeah. done this line once I've this, done this one line. you wrote a heckle put down and you've got it once well I don't really use heckle put downs right I, I improvise with hecklers yeah but this was the thing this guy would not shut up 
and I'm slamming him and I'm slamming him and I'm slamming him and he would not <laughs> shut up and now he's starting to make a fool of himself because he's losing a battle of wits and not having the sense to realise that it's over. Yeah, of course. So I went in a loving way. I went, mate, this isn't a race. It's a dance that I'm winning. <laughs> That's a good line. Cheers. I like that. And then I thought That's about good. it. Cheers. And then I thought about it and if it, uh, 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 a battle of wits is more of a boxing match than a race, isn't it? Because you're not running in one direction. You're facing the other person and you're hitting them. So the yeah. more accurate analogy would be, mate, this isn't a fight. It's a dance that I'm winning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for some reason, I prefer using Simon's words. Maybe it's because they it what inspired me in the first place, but there's no logical reason why that joke should be this isn't a uh, a, a fight as a dance because it a, a, a battle of which is a verbal fight you're taking turns hitting each other with words but like like i say like a, i know like a battle of wits is what you're saying but if you're talking about something not being immediate like you use the race analogy because the race is against time you know yeah but there's no end to time in a in a, in a battle of wits there's no stopwatch is there well, that's or there's the thing, no it's just about taking the other guy down sure it's w- but it's the switch you're switching it like the other thing is kind of in its own Yeah, world, and right? I suppose also, the, the, listen, I'm going with race. But the, the, yeah. the point is, I think also, uh, you know, battle of wits is a coined phrase. You're, it's almost too obvious to do a boxing analogy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I, I prefer. Like you've kind of moved it further away yeah, than okay. you've brought it back in a different way. And also there is a finishing line when the other one gives up, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but, it's, but my point is, it's inaccurate and somehow better. Yeah, I mean, accuracy isn't funny. You know what's funny? funny. Accents. <laughs> Accents well, and hats. Yeah, but there were, there were times when accuracy is beautiful, though, isn't it? When someone absolutely nails, just goes boom. There was a tweet the other day, this girl in the States, she's an actress, she's not well known. Um, and she, it was about the, um, the guy from Breaking Bad, the main guy who's playing a billionaire in a wheelchair. Oh, um, Brian Cranston. Right, there's a lot of yeah. controversy over it. Why, why the, the guy in the wheelchair played a part? And his defense was, I'm an actor. I pretend to be people. Yeah. So her tweet was, and she was an actress, bear in mind. She said, um, she said, you know what? This whole thing, it's gone too far. She said, actors pretend to be people. He said, it's going to get to the stage when all they're allowed to do is be in reality TV shows when they play themselves in different moods. <laughs> and I just went, boom. I just went, like, lovely. Yeah. And I retweeted it with the comment. I went, you know what? I said, as a comedian, sometimes... I feel envy more than admiration when someone nails a point. And uh, there's even a comedy theory that you probably wouldn't have heard because no one seems to have heard this one. Right. Uh, it's not mine. Uh, that part of the reason we laugh at people being funny is there's a moment of jealousy that we wish we'd said it. Right. And that's part of the laughter. That's some people's theory. There's Interesting. All, there's, all, there's another one that you're showing your teeth laughing because you're an animal, showing fear. There's all sorts of ones. Really? I like yeah. that. I like how scientifically. You've broken this stuff down. No? No, it's just I'm, I'm listening to clever people speaking. Yeah, that's your, your, your sponging. You're sponging well, you all know, this information. In 25 years, you're going to listen to them, people talk about what you do, aren't you? Oh, of course. Um, you, you know, the, the, um, I, I came up with the, the disclaimer for a death. And now I'm dying to have a bad gig so I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, it must be tough. You know? It's going to be years. A comedian right? of your level. Well, you know, dying on stage, it must. You what, just have to wait that thing out. Well, look, you have to get it tattooed on yourself so you don't forget. I haven't. I haven't. The only time I really, the only time I really dies at a corporate or a Christmas gig. Sure. But the thing is, you know, a club, I might have a tough gig. I don't, I don't die. Yeah. Um, I hope that doesn't sound conceited, but I don't die. 
So um, what what um, uh, I said I I read a um, I, I read that psychologist said that the first time we laugh is um when our mother bounces up and down and then momently pretends to drop us and then catches you and there's that <gasps> panic that you're gonna fall right and then the release that you're okay right and I said that's the first time we laugh and do you know when the last time you ever laugh is just when I walked on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Just before I walked on just tonight. Before, just yeah. before I walked on tonight. Um, or if you're having a good gig and you lose them, about five minutes ago. <laughs> but I just like the idea that that means I was so unfunny, you're never going to laugh again in your entire life. I've actually put it. you off laughing. Yeah. You know, there's, I, th- I think it's a really nice line. But I'm dying to be able to do that fucking joke now. Well, look, I, I, you can throw a gig, you know, you can just start, just, I can lend you some of my jokes. You can start saying them. We can really lose them. Uh, Brendan Burns on the circuit used to. Um, inevitably lose a crowd and then be brilliant at getting them back. Mm. And it was almost like you may as well deliberately lose them to get this. And Johnny Vegas, Rob Heaney, who I went out for a drink with last night, comedian Rob Heaney, he said that Johnny Vegas on television, like let's say an award speech, if you're giving an award away, he'll deliberately say something not funny, reference it, and then get himself out of the hole because he's a victim. Right. So him going on and being good doesn't work he goes on and creates a problem yeah he likes to set up a low status for them and then, yeah and there's one award it's on the comedy awards one year he gives away best best newcomer i don't know if people want to google this but um he is does a speech the poor guy doesn't get a word and he wins the award um <laughs> and he johnny does this everyone's being funny all night it's comedy awards and then johnny does a joke that doesn't get a big laugh and he goes okay it's not that funny everything doesn't have to be funny you can just be honest, and then he just this slow build up, and then by the end of it, it was a force. It, it was a force of nature, and um, and he goes, I can't swear because Kathy Burke just used up all the fucks for this show, and she looks <laughs> up. I love you, Johnny. You see her mouthing it, yeah. and um, he just goes boom, 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 and it is a phenomenal bit of television. Right, just and he just knows how to play it. He knows yeah. his angle. His angle is to lose then win. And the poor guy who won it. It's not like twenty year old actor. Dragged Johnny off as if to say, come on, get off. You had a, you've had enough now. It was so gracious because he didn't go, excuse me, can I speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just went, all right, come on, let's go, Johnny. You've, you've done your bit. Let's go. <laughs> I guess we're both done. Let's we're get both, out of yeah, here. Exactly. It was so gracious because, <laughs> you know, you, part of you would be like, your parents would be like, my son just won an award. I'm listening to Johnny <laughs> Vegas speak for like, it was about five minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pure comedian right there. It's like, wait, someone else won something? I'm going to I'm gonna have this. I'm going to have this moment for a bit. Peter Kay was the master of that. Yeah. Peter Kay would steal a show off anybody in any any format. Well, speaking of, speaking of stealing a show, I'm here with Adam Bloom, a comedy professor. I think I would say. I, I like that. All, is that is that is that like an okay summary of you? Yeah, I got called the joke doctor once. Joke doctor. I would agree with that because like you're you're treating them, you're finding them, you're diagnosing them, and I think anybody <laughs> making them better, making them better. Hopefully, sometimes they die. Some jokes can't be saved. <laughs> but at least I've got the line ready for it when they do. You're a, you're a Londoner through and through. Yes. I would say. Yes. I would say some of the one of the most London people I've ever met even looks London. Do I really? I think so. Like I to paint the picture, you've got a smartwatch on. You're wearing a red hat. <laughs> it's like a red flat. What's that hat called? What's the name of it? Um, it's like a some pie. People, some people say paper boy hat but i think it's just called a flat cap flat cap that's it flat cap is the word i was looking for and you're vaping that is three out of three london my friend that's a triple in australia if you did any one of those three things people would stop talking to you oh really yeah dude we don't like hats we don't like smart watches we don't like vaping <laughs> australia is anti-progress that's that's us as a group 
It's it's our national identity. You know, we don't want anything to be easier. <laughs> the funny thing is, I only started wearing hats uh, this week because I shaved my hair off. Uh-huh. And this is three days growth. I normally shave it every two or three days. Right. This is the longest it's been for a week and a half. How do you, how do you feel? Slightly warmer? Uh, very slightly warmer, but I haven't taken that risk because the hat keeps my head warm. And that's why I bought two hats this week. You bought two hats? Because I've gone completely bored. The other one's green and waterproof. And this is a Kango. It's a bit <laughs> better quality. It's woolly. So yeah. if it rains, I can't wear this one. Right. So I've got the green one for when it's raining. So you went from zero hats to two hats. Absolutely. That is fucking Adam Bloom. That's like, yeah, <laughs> that is. That's, do you know what? That is me. I obsess over And I'll have another one. I'll yeah. have another one. I soon. bet you will. Well, no, because like, because I, the way we met was at uh, that gig where I was a, I was a piece of shit. I was at a, I was a, I was a piece of shit at a gig. You're grumpy. I was grumpy. I was real grumpy. Um, Always a good way to act as a new guy. Oh, obviously, when you're new, not even new to the gig. I'm new to the country. I'm new to the scene. It's just like, who's that guy? He's the grumpy guy. Uh, you we'll were, never, you grumpy. we'll never see him again. But then, but then I saw you again at another gig, and I wasn't grumpy. Yeah. And I had you, to reassess. And you drove me home. I, I, I flipped you. I turned, I turned you. I drove you home having i would have driven you home anyway yeah but i i drove you home giving you the benefit of doubt you weren't always grumpy that's true and i like to think in the car that i proved that i could be quite happy for two straight hours that's true was it no it was not that long but yeah it was something like that wasn't it it was in lewis it was down down south in that weird half maybe yeah culty town how do you spell lewis l-e-w-e-s yes i couldn't have got that if anyone wants to look it up yeah like that that, I think that's kind of um, a type of gig that I've gotten used to now here. But at the time, those gigs used to terrify me. You get you learn to play them. There's definitely a, a small town, small room mentality that's different to a, a London gig. Um, yeah. you, it's funny, I watched a guy the other day who shall remain nameless who was gigging in Nottingham. He was talking about Brexit and he was reprimanding the audience for voting out, which of course is only... Uh, uh, just over half of them statistically yeah probably even less than half of the comedy club because it's got a slightly more left-wing vibe in a comedy club but nonetheless yeah you'd say so yeah th- but nonetheless uh he was reprimanding the audience and they weren't buying it mm. and it was like almost london people can take that kind of stuff on their chin more they they, they just didn't buy it in nottingham and one of the other comics whispered to me i don't think he gigs out of london much <laughs> and i thought very astute comment yeah i'm not saying you shouldn't do your material in wherever you go but it's a it's an approach you adjust to i could do the same i never do the same set twice i'm always plucking out as i go right uh, 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 you know two if i double up i might do 60 percent the same material another 40 will be plucked as i'm going i'll do my favorite 15 yeah sure 10 but my point is if i were to do the same set twice in a row exactly the same hypothetically in two very different rooms even though they're very different with very different people, I would just approach it differently, but I would still do the same stuff. It's just about attuning, connecting. If you told an old lady at a bus stop a story about what you did that day and you told a five-year-old the story, yeah, you'd get the same information across, but you just approach it differently. Of course. And right. like, I think, I think that's just, um, you know, just speaking from my own experience when I first got here, I'd be like, well, these are my jokes and it'd feel a little bit more rigid. Because be worried about the time, you'd be like you wouldn't know the response, you wouldn't even know what like if an audience makes a certain sound, what does that mean here? Wow! Like what's that noise? Wow! Like and then boo! Yeah, that's an easy one. That's a, but like that one where like you know that that kind of little bit of silence, like it's not it's not a full pullback, it's just kind of like well we're not gonna laugh, and you're like in Australia I just bash straight through or I'd call them out immediately. Whereas here I think if you call an audience out for not laughing in an aggressive way, they're kind of like whoa. Like so you, we so, 
don't have to laugh. Sure. So if an Australian audience doesn't laugh, is that an instant sign that there's a problem in the room? I mean, depend. Like again, depends on the gig. But in Australia, I just you, you have an inherent understanding of the different people and where you are, and you know the line. You know, like a local reference. You have like even in a place you've never been before. Like I, you know, you have an understanding. Whereas here, that first six months, I was just like, if you reacted to something, I have no idea why. I have no idea why this place would pull back there. That's interesting. So if I were in Australia and I did a joke that didn't work and I just went on to the next one, would there be a vibe of, them of does this guy even know his shit? I think so. But that could be me projecting my, my, my performance chops, I guess, like the way that I deal with stuff. Well, I, fair enough. I have a, an, uh, an ongoing kind of sort of uh, assessment of my gig as it's going. So if a joke doesn't work, I would be funny about the fact that it didn't work. Yeah. I would probably call back something else that happened and include it into the moment. I would use that as improv. Yeah. It's not like, oh, this isn't going very well, is it? You know, all disclaimers should be funny. You should never yeah, exactly. comment on a gig going badly and not be funny about it because you're achieving absolutely nothing. Yeah, you're just proving that you're not funny yeah. and that the gig is going badly. Yeah, yeah. It's like a two-step a two step process. I remember uh, the the worst I've ever broken that rule. I was doing new material at a club and I promised myself I was going to only do new material. I had mm. scraps of paper, you know, I wasn't getting paid. Yeah. And I, um, I went, I'm only doing the new stuff. And I did a new bit, it didn't work. And I did another new bit and it didn't work. But it got a little polite chuckle. And under my breath, I went, huh. Like I mocked their, <laughs> their, their little laugh. And it's like, it's everything I've ever learned yeah. goes against that. I've just basically said to the audience, listen to you with your it's horrible it's horrible and the reason they didn't laugh because it wasn't funny that's yeah. it my new material was failing to be funny and of course if I was doing well and I slipped that new bit in on its own it might have had some momentum and the joke might have worked but they were losing faith in what was going on yeah. they know it's new there's a guy with scraps of paper and they're going hmm this isn't going great and of course you know I should have put the paper away and gone right and then and, and put the paper to signify this isn't good. Yeah, and yeah, another yeah. The best new material thing I've ever seen ever was Milton Jones. He said, um, he walked on with scraps of paper and he said, right, I'm going to try out some jokes. Some of these are uh, mine and some of them are for a friend of mine. And they did a joke, got a big laugh, did another joke, got a big laugh. And he went, no, no, sorry, did his first joke, got a big laugh. He went, that's one of mine. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, did yeah. three in a row that worked. Then one joke didn't work. And he went, it's one of his, right? <laughs> and which we didn't see coming at the time, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a bit later on, he got a very small laugh on a joke. He just went, I told him. <laughs> Lovely. I told him. Um, Ed Byrne was in New York and he was in a comedy audience uh, club. And uh, there's a woman who's a famous, uh, sorry, there's a guy who's a famous sitcom star who was doing stand up. And he had his notes on the table at the back of the room. And he'd go forward to the microphone, do a bit, go back to his notes, come back, do a bit. The crowd loved him. Right. And he did a bit that got absolutely nothing. Yeah. And he walked over to his notes, looked down, and he went, no, it's definitely what it says here. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Like, a kind of like an instruction yeah. manual to a new washing machine or something, yeah. or, you know, Ikea table. Just, isn't that lovely? <laughs> like, no, no, no. It just it's, doesn't look like the picture. Yeah, it's just, that's that's the best disclaimer I've ever heard of with with regard to, actually, that's my second favorite disclaimer. Tom stayed told me there's a female Canadian comedian and I, 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 didn't, I don't think he even knew her name. Mm. And she was dying on stage and she looked right close up to a guy in the front row and went, has it occurred to you that you've died and this is your hell? <laughs> and what I love about that is that 
she's having a bad gig. Yeah. She's put it on somebody else. <laughs> it's like, yeah, now... This is me, man. This is your damnation. Yes. Yeah. But that's so... Such a good example of being bigger than the moment. Yeah. Do you know, to actually... Tell somebody else that this is your problem, mate. Yeah. And not the room, him. Just it one w- man. Yeah. If it was everyone, it wouldn't be as funny, would it? Because we can now laugh at him. Yeah. You're going through hell. <laughs> the, um, Phil K did. I nearly mentioned this earlier for some reason. Phil, oh, yeah, because it was about me having that line about the bouncing the baby up and down. Yeah. I saw Phil K lose a crowd like he does. I mean, I counted the best gigs I've ever seen. went through them. And uh, it was Daniel Kitson, all the obvious ones, Sean Locke, right. Simon Munnery. Phil K, Phil K, and Phil K. Right. Three, six best his, performances. He's a killer. He's a killer. Phenomenal improviser. Right. The best in the world. But it's volatile. And um, he, volatile is the wrong word, but it's very hit and miss. And he, <laughs> he, um, he lives in Lewis. Um, he, he lives in Lewis? I believe so, yeah. But he was in a club gig and he was dying. He was closing the gig mm. and he was dying. And it got to the point now it was just uncomfortable silence now. He's doing, getting nothing. And then he went, you know, people say this is the hardest job in the world, comedy. Hardest job in the world, comedian. Well, this right now is the mo- This is the moment they talk. When they talk about that, this right now is what they're talking about. Yeah. And you know what? It's not that bad. <laughs> and he put his arms in the air. Yeah. And he sprung out of his death like a jack-in-the-box. And I swear, it went from no laugh at all to roaring laughter. Yeah. And then back to dying again. <laughs> but he, it was profound. He had one Brendan, moment. Brendan Burns and I were sitting together watching it. Brendan had already been on and I was MC. And we collapsed with laughter. It was, it trans, it transcended, transgendered. That word's been so put in our minds now. There it transcended comedy because it, it, he sucked all that energy into his body for a second. Yeah. Focused on the truth that was happening. Mm. And went, Boom, like explosion. It was phenomenal. And what I love about that is when you think about it, when the comedian, you know, people say hard to in the world, they mean it's hard for the comedian because the audience don't like it. And therefore he's saying, don't worry, it's all right. And that's a lovely, comforting thought. Yeah. Because people feel sorry for you when they're not laughing. That's a huge part of it. Here's the point. It's all right that it's not that bad for him, but there's still 100 people who've paid good money to be there and they're not having a good time. (laughs) So he's reassuring them, don't worry, I'm all right. Yeah. I don't really know many people in this country who've kind of been born in London, lived in London, never left London. Right. Like their whole thing is this one city, which I think most people would say is distinct from the rest of the UK. Yeah, yeah. I left London for three years and hated it. Three years? Where'd you go? Epsom. Where is Epsom? It's Surrey. It's only 35 minutes from Waterloo. Okay. So is that uh, like a zone seven, zone it's eight? Just outside. It's, one, it's one stop outside of the last zone on the Oyster card. Okay. Um, and and subsequently the train station's full of people having to go, oh, I can't touch out. What do I do? Um, <laughs> they haven't done the research. It's horrible. Because They're just you, trapped there. You, you, you can't touch out. What do you do? You can go back one stop and touch out and then get a single ticket and come back. What, what happens if you don't touch out? Does it max out your Oyster? It pays you the long, fullest amount you can possibly pay. I think. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it's not good. So there's a bunch of people in Epsom trying to leave the station and they can't. And that's where you lived. You were like, this is the place for yeah. me. Um, I bought a I lived in Victoria I, I owned a two bedroom flat and it overlooked Buckingham well, Palace you, you've told me this you've, you, oh, okay. you have lived like well this is the thing I've had Tom Horton on this podcast before who lives in the Tower of London which is technically a palace technically a palace yeah. but after him you have lived the most central 
of anyone I I've lived, ever spoken I lived, to. Well, I, I lived overlooking a palace. I lived actually lived. That's more, what I mean. You were yeah, the neighbour yeah, yeah, to the yeah. palace. I lived. I lived more central than that. I lived in North Soho for five and a half years, which yeah. is far more central than Victoria. Right. I mean, you know, I was, I was a minute walk from Oxford Street and, sure. and a minute walk from Tottenham Court Road. However, uh, Victoria is still very central, but it felt a bit suburban compared to right like, okay live victoria wow so central but i would just have to walk 20 minutes into town through green park and right. think i've moved out a little bit now <laughs> but of course it's still ridiculously central yeah that 20 minute walk you're like i'm in the suburbs this yeah. is crazy yeah 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 but the but the point is so i had a two-bedroom flat uh had one daughter who was nearly two and we were running out of space mm-hmm. i had no office uh her toys were starting to fill up the place and it was just like you know we had a dining room we could have we could have built a wall it was an L-shaped living room dining. We could have built walls so that the dining room uh, was the my office sure. and, the, and the junk room. And yeah. then she could have had a you know a, a bedroom without all the junk in it. Because we divided her bedroom in two. It was really cool. We put a, a beautiful wardrobe in and we built a Scooby-Doo bookshelf around the wardrobe. So right. that when you walk in the room, it's a tiny bedroom with a beautiful wardrobe and bookshelf. And you put your hand under the bookshelf like there's a hidden handle and you pull it out and it's behind like Scooby-Doo hidden. Oh, right. And behind that was all our mops and, <laughs> and, and you know the storage crap. cupboard yeah. yeah but the thing is it was a, it was yeah. a beautiful flat but the thing is just to still have a dining room uh we had would have had to move so we did so we bought a house in epsom and for your money it you get like five times the space of course literally yeah so you would have had like three bedrooms five bedrooms five bedrooms so you went from two to five yes S- less money same money it's less money less money but we also we also <laughs> had a second daughter Ah. Uh, my, we found out my wife was pregnant six days after we moved house. Oh, wow. Yeah. So That's good timing. Yeah, yeah. It's very good timing. Got nine months to sort the room out. I think we're probably celebrating the contract being exchanged. <laughs> but, but, the, but the thing... <laughs> but So the thing is that that Sorry, was... that's very funny. Oh, cheers. But that was, that was a, a wonderful move yeah. for my children. They lived near their cousin and their aunts and uncles right. and their uh, grandparents. Uh, so the, their cousin would come over and have sleepovers and it was wonderful. But... And I had an office and uh, two floors up. I had right. an office two floors up. So I could shut the door in my office. I couldn't hear any noise. What a lovely place for writing. What a lovely place for meetings. Sure. However. It was the dream. My, yeah, except it was a nightmare because <laughs> I absolutely missed London like I can't. It felt like oxygen. So 30 minutes out, that you were like, yep. this is dream unacceptable. House, dream house. And I absolutely, it took me about a month to realize I hated it. It was just people's attitudes. I had a really nice electric electric bike, and in London, you people stop at the lights and look at it because they could see this was an interesting bike. Sure, it, the, the battery was in the frame. That, that's a, that's four out of four now, by the way. What? Add the electric bike to the van. Like that. Yeah, it's all there. I, I was in um, Israel. I was in Tel Aviv, and about one in four bikes were electric for some reason. Really? There. Yeah. And I said, um, I saw all the electric bikes out here, and um, I said, um, I know, I, you know, I heard Jewish people don't lift a finger. I didn't know they didn't lift a foot either. <laughs> But the but the the point is um, that I had this really nice electric bike, and in London people would look at it and like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But uh, in Epsom, you get almost sneered. See that bike? You, there we you, go. you hear someone go, see that bike? That's, it's small. See, this makes me feel comfortable because that's what Australia would do. I was going to say, Epsom's like Australia. Yeah, there we go. So you know, and also you know, no one there was no diversity. You know, I never thought you know I'd miss seeing a punk or a rabbi. Or, you know, someone yeah. in a burqa. Because, you know, you don't even think when you walk down the streets of London where you see everyone looking different. Different religious beliefs, different fashion statements. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And you think when, you know, people who... The, the ignorant people who want everyone to be the same. 
if, if everyone was the same, you there would be a sudden blandness in front of your eyes. Man, because Australia's quite like that. Like again, like I think the analogy is kind of there, and it's not not to the degree of Epsom, I'm sure. But one of the, like me moving here, I was like, holy shit! Like there are so many different types of people right. like not just like ethnicity or like religion but just like different types of people you probably saw your first australian aboriginal didn't you over here yeah i'm not a, never met one here actually i don't know if there's I'm any kidding. i'm just saying that you don't see them in australia oh where i lived you did oh really yeah redfern it was a it, it was a indigenous area that's getting gentrified as all as all areas near the inner city that used to have an ethnicity in there, they right. all get gentrified. That's happening in Australia as well. Yeah, man. That's I think it's global pretty much. Oh. I can't like that I lived in Berlin for a bit, exact same with uh, the like Turkish areas. New York. God, there's a wonderful song yeah. uh, a tribe called Quest. I don't know if you're into hip hop. I know tribe, yeah. Right. Well they uh, released an album 16 years later from the previous one and Five Dog died during the making of the album, which is very right. sad. But the there's a track on it called We the People. Please look it up if you like hip hop. And it's got Fife in it and q-tip and it's about gentrification and it's just it's just beautiful and it's just having a go at you know cleaning up graffiti you know just yeah. taking away the charm from a place and um yeah there's a, well, well here it's like even the opposite like in shortage all the graffiti is still there but it's now brought to you by gucci <laughs> like it's, it's the weirdest shit man it's just corporate graffiti every corner i saw a bit of graffiti with a uh sign and a twitter name on it and i thought god half the times it <laughs> they're promoting an online existence but you get it though like as a, as people like us you know we need our social media presence like you understand the graffiti person wants some likes so he can get some corporate graffiti yeah, work yeah, yeah i tell you what banksy did the most ingenious thing ever with graffiti mm. he did a month in new york where he hit a different wall every day for a month yeah and some of them maybe a third of them there's a phone number underneath the piece yeah sprayed on the wall with a hash tag and an extension number so he had several extensions on the same answer machine right and there was a museum museum audio guide to the piece you're looking at bullshit that's uh, awesome uh, beautiful and you and i could do that we could walk out in the street now with a pen or some paint yeah. do a little scribble on the wall no matter how good or bad it is and put your mobile number and then record some music in the background because you'll go do be do be do what you see before you is a bank guy uh, he's got yeah, so he's yeah. pronounced it wrong, and he goes, "Notice the colours. This represents the state of the art world today, and it's making fun of modern art." Yeah. But the the beautiful thing is, you go, "Okay, he's a millionaire. He's got all this access to whatever he wants." It's a bit of paint on a wall with a phone number. It's the it's the inventiveness that makes it brilliant, and not the money behind it or anything like that. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and that's wonderful because graffiti's you know a million years old, cavemen, right? Yeah. And they're, I mean, you know, I suppose there's no ownership, so no one's going to arrest them for it. But, but you know, it, it's <laughs> it wasn't graffiti then; it was just yeah, it was yeah, yeah, drawing on. But the point is, it, ex it existed then, and you know, mobile phone technology is what thirty years old. Yeah. So therefore. Combining something that old with something that new to create that is just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's yeah. called, it was called Better Out Than In. Better Out Than In? Yeah, the, the residence in New York. Yeah, it's it's crazy how stuff like that transforms so quick. Like as soon as something like, you know, graffiti, this is like an alternative thing. This is guerrilla. This is punk. And then people are like, wait a second, we can make some money out of this. And then immediately, you know, graffiti got gentrified. That's what happened to it. Yeah, the hashtag, the, the uh, at sign though, in all fairness, it could just be, if you want to look at more of my art, I, I tweet. Oh, but that's pictures. what it is. Yeah. Number one minute, she still may not make any money out of it. Oh, but you know what? Of course he probably does because people look at it and then he gets commissioned work as an artist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah, your sure. cafe graffiti going on. Imagine, like, imagine start having agents for numbers. <laughs> oh my I'm God. represented by blah, blah, blah. I did, Let's get I in did, touch. I did a tweet once. I said, um, 
state of the comedy is getting oh, it's getting to a stage in comedy where soon comedians are going to worry their writers are losing their looks because <laughs> it got, got a bit boy bandy hasn't it you know you, you got I mean I mean yeah like I've, as two very good looking people it's not a problem for us but uh you know, it used to be used to be a different vibe in comedy. I'm an acquired, I'm an acquired taste. You're an acquired taste. I'm an acquired I think, taste. I think you're very pretty. I, I photograph well. It's really weird. I'm photogenic, which is <laughs> with another, another word for ugly in real life. Yeah, it's okay. really with some. I, Rob Heaney, my friend Rob Heaney, um, he's a comedian. He's also a tennis coach. He passed mm. his um, grade four tennis coaching thing. It was a big deal. Right, this was a big deal. Grade four, he's got to a high stage now as a coach, and he's very emotional. And I said, to, I was with him when he got his results. So. We're having a coffee. I said, right, I'm taking out for a drink tonight. And we went out the same evening for a drink. And he said to a couple next us, can you take our picture for us? And took the picture. And there's this, you know, I'm this quirky looking bloke. You know, I've got fucking, you know, weird nose, bold, big, starey eyes. You got features. I got features. I got yeah. a lot of lot going on in my face, right? See that euphemism there? That was beautiful for me. You, you got, got features, features, baby. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but yeah. Or, no, yeah. That's true. It's a good way to describe you, I think. If a DVD, I'd be on special features. <laughs> but, 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 the, but the point is, so I'm this quirky looking bloke. Yeah. And then Rob took the picture and he looked at it and went, you look amazing. Like, <laughs> if I got if I got a date, what I should do is turn up with an iPad stuck to my face, yeah, blue, blue tack to my forehead with a picture of me on the iPad because yeah. I'm never going to look as good as a picture. That's of your me. makeup. Done. That's my makeup. But it's you know it's it's a it's photogenic. You know, if someone's beautiful and photogenic, it means like Kate Moss. Great, yeah. you got to have a good career modeling. I'm not beautiful and I'm photogenic. So basically, when people look at the photograph, what they're really saying is. You don't look that good in real life, mate. Yeah. Like, almost like the camera does lie. Adam, <laughs> how is that you? But yeah, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an oddly bloke who photographs well, but unfortunately, you don't, don't go for your life on film. Look, but you got, you got a bunch of TV appearances out there. You know, this is good. This is, people are seeing the best the best you. Or just the photograph. The TV is no good. Then it, uh, I don't What know, about I, a moving I image? Haven't, I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about that. But you, you haven't thought about it? How I, is there something you haven't thought about? Well, <laughs> because I uh, I don't like watching myself on video. Uh, I always cringe watching myself. Yeah. I find I've got quirks and movements I didn't know I had. Sure. Now, if the audience are laughing, then you're doing something right. But I'm going, all the effort. Lee Mack once said to me, Adam, you put so much thought into the wording of your jokes. I don't think you realise that 50% of the reason they're laughing is because you move and look funny. Oh, right. Well, yeah. that's a lovely thing it to say. It is a lovely thing to say, but I, I would never want to contrive that. Sure. I remember, I, you know, I would contrive the wording because I want the audience to think certain things at certain times and get the impact of the joke being the best it can be. Yeah, of course. However, I would never want to choreograph my movement because then it's an eccentricity or a quirk that is natural. I remember seeing Emily Lloyd, the actress who was in um, Wish You Were Here, which was a very successful right. film. Um, set in Brighton and I saw her being interviewed in that peak of her fame on breakfast TV and she gave she looked down like she was looking down sort of by focus at somebody sure without glasses on right and she looked down at the interviewer and she did a coy look and it was really sexy but I thought that you learned that look you know oh, you practice that you, yeah, yeah and, and it was although it was sexy it also made me feel like you've, you're just twitching on that look yeah and you know it's you know, you might have, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or who who says that you, when you're, you know, in bed with them, they might do something that really turns you on. You should never tell them that turns you on because if you tell them, they'll be self-conscious when they do it. It's just a thing. There'll be a moment 
in it doesn't have to right. be in bed it could be a moment when kissing just before they kiss so there could be a middle yeah. moment when you they look you up and down or they look into both you know someone's staring in the eye they look at both eyes they can't yeah. decide which eye to look at they Wait, go back, back, back. so you, you think if like they're aware of it that ruins the yes because when they do authenticity it, of the moment first of all when they do it they might catch themselves doing it and then it will change sure and secondly they might find themselves trying to do it and then it's suddenly not good and also there's something sexy about someone not knowing when they're sexy because it means it's completely natural yeah and you know it's lovely physical attraction that lovely moment when someone just scratches their ear or whatever it is. Yeah, like, sure. I, I, I doubt scratching their ear is ever going to be sexy unless, <laughs> unless they've got a penis on the end of their ear. <laughs> <laughs> what a look that would be. And scratch is not a good thing to do to no, a penis. No, never, never, never yeah. a verb you want. Um, yeah. But so with the eccentricities and stuff and like moving, you know, being like a London person, I think, I think London is a city that really embraces eccentricity. I think that's like an encouraged... Species well, this here. is why Epson wasn't good for me because like, I've got a man bag and that was the equivalent of a Mohican haircut. I may as well have glued the man bag to my fucking head. <laughs> so you just felt very judged I felt, I felt that it was homogenized. There you go. Sure. Oh, sorry, move the microphone. It no, was, that's okay. It was homogenized. And I think that, you know, when people start to dress the same and even walk the same, there's almost a sort of psychological fascism that if you do it differently, you will become, uh, 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 you'll break away from the herd and therefore won't eat. You, you'll be right. the one that you know on your own and therefore you won't be in the pack and there's there's something about you know sometimes you go to small towns where all blokes are wearing a, a Ralph Lauren plain shirt and their idea of being individual is wearing a yellow Ralph Lauren shirt because their mates are wearing pink ones pink ones and blue ones yeah, go, yeah I'm going to be a bit different I'm going to wear a yellow Ralph Lauren shirt I got a theory about that it's like the they look like swatches of carpet you know like where uh, you're going to nice. choose the carpet nice. thing it's like nice. yeah this is, the, this is the gents today which, which colour would you like yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But I think with London, it's like it's so big and so kind of crushed in. But there's also, I think, I think English people do enjoy eccentricity. Like that's, that is like a word that I think you guys use more than other countries. Oh, okay. Like it's just like, there's a, there's a value to it. There's a history of it. Like you like having that mate who's just a bit odd. You know, there's like, yeah. there's a value to being odd. I Whereas gotcha. in other countries, it's like, oh man, that guy's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's like, man, he's, he's weird. He's great. We celebrate oddness. Yeah. Right, right, right. If, I mean, if someone ever says to me, you're weird, like that, with with a bit of contempt, I think, well, you're narrow-minded. Yeah. Because if you if you allowed yourself to treat me with an open mind and just go, what is it about this bloke? Okay, he's, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's saying this, he's saying that. I need to suss him out. Someone with open mind, whether they like me or not, will go through the process of deciding that. Yeah. Rather than just going, you're not like everyone I know, therefore I don't like you. And that mentality does not exist in London, no. Yeah. And you're allowed to be, yeah, you're allowed to be who you are. And, um, but, you know, I, I suppose I don't really meet many small-minded people because comedy is a weird, is a weird, is a weird thing. And, it's a ragtag crew. Oh, beautiful. I'm in a dressing room sometimes. I look around and go, these people, Brendan Burns actually made this point once. He was on a train with Martin Bigpig and Junior Simpson. So you've got a black guy, you've got a, a, a tattooed white guy with a ginger long, long, long beard. Yeah. And this Australian bloke, and they're walking through the train carriages and people are looking at him, how did those three become friends? <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, they got forced together through their job, but on that tour, doing a uni tour, they yeah. would become friends. Of course. And it, it's, you know, the, the, the thing that most comedians have got in common is their one... Uh, original thinkers yeah and they're too brave enough to do their first gig like i respect anyone who does stand up because they did their first gig even if they're awful another point brennan burns made is that if someone's awful and people look down on them they've got to go out every night and night you know i said about i only really ever die at corporates or christmas yeah, parties. Sure. well they got to go out every night going am i going to die tonight is this going to be one of those nights where i die? well how brave is it to keep going on doing something that doesn't work 
That's you know, like a World War One mentality. Like, but, go over the top. Uh, but you no, can make it. But, you know, comedians sneer at those guys. But in actual fact, they got the biggest balls in the business. Oh, yeah, for sure. But there are, a lot of them are insane. Fair I enough. feel comfortable saying that but there are some because people, I've seen them. There are some people who stuck at what they believed and it became good. Julian Barrett from The Mighty Boosh. Right. I did a 44-day university tour with him in 96 with Gordon Southern emceeing, me supporting Julian. And Julian stank the room out probably one in three times. Sure. And he didn't change what he did. He'd go out the next night and go, this is what I do. I'm going to do it. this. This is it. And eventually he, he found a self-belief that his success rate went up. And more importantly, uh, the TV people acknowledged what he had. Well, oh, then he formed the boost with Noel Fielding and then he did one man to two men plays sort of thing. And yeah. they created their own thing. And that allowed people to come into their world more. And also a one-man show or two-man show means people are going to buy into what you're doing by giving themselves due for now, as opposed to going... This guy's weird. A bit like the mentality that I don't like in people. Yeah. Audiences do that sometimes. And it's like, come on, give this guy... He's doing something completely different to anyone else on the bill. There's nothing he's doing that reminds you of anything that's been done before. Paul Foot. But a lot, a lot of people don't want to take the time to engage with that. No, they which don't. Is, which is why, you know, with the homogeny thing, I think, you know, it's very admirable that you kind of... You moved to a place, you had the dream home, you had the whole thing, you had the kids, everything was great. And you're just like, oh, fuck, I just... No, my wife. To... No, my wife divorced me. You <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't have enough of Epsom. Someone at Epsom had enough of me. Right. But the, but the point is, the only good thing that's come from my divorce is my wife uh, is is me moving back to London because I can now breathe again. Yeah, you feel more comfortable. Oh, you walk out your front door and there's that living thing. You know, when I lived in Soho, you walked out your front door. You were right in the middle of the media buzzing around people walking around carrying uh, film reels of film in front yeah. of you you know everyone's doing something so, like, so your wife and kids are living in Epsom are they still in that house yes do, is it just like as a, as a kid thing like do you, where did you grow up sorry where did you grow up Richmond where that's zone, zone 4 so zone it's, 4 it's on the cusp of West London and Surrey okay it's a Surrey postcode yeah it's a London phone number okay <laughs> that's well, that, damn, that's a Venn diagram that's a yeah. contradiction no I get that okay no but um, is, is your kids like growing up in Epsom is that something you kind of do you think they will get used to that homogeny is that something that you think about uh, well I, don't, I, don't, I mean I, don't I worry mean, about that just like it's a future thing in Australia that's why I ask you know just like being exposed to more stuff I think is good yeah but they go into London on, on days out a lot um, I think that um, uh you know their mum's a very strong uh interesting personality she's a yeah. very very funny uh intelligent person i don't think she's going to be uh m mixing with that many boring people i think she's you know by being intelligent and interesting and, yeah. and quite quirky herself sure. she's going to attract interesting people to, around her so i don't think that's going to be a major problem i hadn't really thought about it what i thought was living in central london i couldn't pay for private school for two children i could scrape by on one Right, but two children in private school. Uh, so inner city schools, you know, the inner city state schools. That's the, they're the toughest schools to be in for a kid. Right. So okay. We moved out partly in, in terms of quality of education, or just like the yeah, kind of stuff yeah, around you, you, that. Because yeah, you, the, the inner city state schools are uh, have generally. I'm please correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, but they got the lowest offset reports generally, and. The Epsom, when I looked at school reports in Epsom, there's a school, you know, so close and it's just amazing result, Ofsted reports. And you sure. go, I want my kids to grow up in an area where the schools are good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there are, you know, if you if you put 
if you ask to be in a certain school, you put your top three down, you get told where you're going, right? You don't, you don't go, I want to go on that school on the other side of town. You get, you, you get given the school. Yeah, there's a catchment, catchment yeah, area. Absolutely. And then you go in. There was a school in Epsom that was so good that people were renting houses temporarily so they could put that as their address. Wow. Yeah. Because it was just, it's a state school. So it's free? Is education free here? State school means free, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then like in London, you would have had to go to like a private school. In the c- central London, I wouldn't want them in a, in a, in a central London uh, state school, no. Okay. Um, and if there, if there are people listening to this going, that's not, I, I could go to this one, then feel free to tell me and I'm wrong. But the that's what we experience. Um, and also, the, you know, central London, you walk out your front door, there's a bus and a truck go by. Yeah, know, sure. Rather than a zebra crossing and a lollipop lady, you know. Yeah, just a little bit unsafe oh. um, by comparison. Well, no, that's, um, if, if you speak to most Australian people who are here, they can't imagine having kids outside of Australia. Like that's their, like that's a very common sentiment, you know. Like I'll be here when I'm young, when I'm like, you know, in single, in a relationship, married, but as soon as kids happen, get back to Australia where it's safe. Australia is an incredible place, absolutely incredible place. Well, you you've been there. You were there in the four times I've been. Yeah, the early days of the comedy festival. Well, not the early I days. Thirteenth. But... I did the thirteenth Melbourne festival. Yeah. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine, and I loved it more than I could tell you. Had you had you travelled around much before that? Or was Australia one of your first? Uh, no, I'd been to Montreal, uh, yeah. and I've been to Holland several times. Uh, but that was my first. I've been to Hong Kong, but that was my first trip to the other side of the world yeah and just the quality of life and the pound was 3.3 to the dollar then so oh, don't we, worry we remember the old days yeah we you guys were, kept we coming rich. out yeah yeah we were rich it was amazing <laughs> i remember going for dinner with jeff green and simon munnery and we'd have steak and we'd buy oh, i'll get this like you know you don't you you treat your mates to steak and yeah wine and just get the bill like it was a round of drinks and I, I, I get the impression that would not be happening now no it's a little it's a little bit closer but um it's still i don't meet right? i don't eat meat now anyway so that i happen. don't admit you're out I'm you're out. keeping it healthy but yeah so how what, what was first impressions of australia because i'd say australia 90s and like early 2000s like that's probably different to what it is now like it was still probably a very small country in a lot of ways did did you have that feeling or I, I, I noticed in Melbourne city centre, you would walk down the street and you would see somebody and then 10 minutes later, you'd notice the same person in the city centre. <laughs> like in Leicester Square, yeah. you know, you could stand there all day. I mean, you do, a, let's say you do a gig at the Comedy Store sure. early in lecture, that's 800 people see you and you stand in Leicester Square an hour later and you would not see one of those people. No one would say, come up to you and, and, and believe me, I've waited. <laughs> so yeah, so they, they, <laughs> they, um, you know, so you'd see someone in Melbourne. It reminded me of a film set. My dad said to me when I was a kid, there was extras walking in the background. He said, right, pick a person and notice what they're wearing. Yeah. So I picked a person and noticed what they're wearing. And then five minutes later in the same scene, the same person walked back again. Right. They got, They've got the extras. They're just walking back yeah, and forth. But I didn't know that as a kid. Wait, so why, why did your dad know? Was he in film? Or? No, he just, I suppose he'd reached a stage of life where he'd heard lots of information. Just re-realised yeah, these things. Or, or been told them. But the, the thing is, um, Melbourne City Centre looked like a film set to me. You see the same person a few minutes later. It was quiet. It was uh, non-aggressive. Uh, Melbourne, am, am I right in saying it's got a very big suburb but a small city centre? Um, yeah, I mean, Melbourne CBD is probably more active than Sydney CBD. In Sydney, the CBD is like pretty much just for business. Then everyone goes out in the suburbs. Whereas like Melbourne, at least there's some stuff, but maybe that's a more recent development. Like, cause you know, you got to remember this is like what, 20 years ago that you were, you were doing this stuff. Loved it, man. So yeah, no, like I, I, I would just find it 
Yeah, so interesting to go there, especially then because like I think Australia was pretty small town until like maybe 2010. What happened? Well, we just kind of got more and more people, and like you're from Sydney, aren't you? I'm from Sydney, yeah. But like Melbourne's even smaller than Sydney, like now still. But like back then, it would have been a significant difference because Sydney's about six million now, but it's a big sprawl. Like it'd be you know bigger bigger than Zone Six, like Sydney's sprawl, and it just goes west. There's like the main bit of the city and it just goes west from there pretty much. Right, like okay. a little bit of north, a little bit of south, but mainly just further west. Oh, okay. Whereas like in Melbourne and London, it's the city in the center and it circles around. Uh, you know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. But you want to ask me about being a Londoner? Yeah, I, I, just, I just find it like, yeah, like you kind of stayed in it the whole time. Like most people have an exit strategy. Most people, you know, well, I guess you did. You had to go to Epsom just to get the house with the big enough size and like the school for the kids. Yeah, and also I I do travel an immense amount. I've performed in 35 countries, some of them 20, 25 times. I've been in um, Amsterdam maybe 20 times and the rest of Holland another 10. Yeah. So it's not like I'm, you know, sometimes I can spend, you know, two weeks out of four abroad. So it's not like I'm not seeing the world. You know? Oh, not not at all. Yeah. Like I, I meant it in terms of, I Just think living. most people find London exhausting, but I think... Anyone who's listening to this would realize you're a very energetic person. Yeah, can probably well, keep up. Here's the thing: because I'm, <laughs> because I'm, I get stressed easily. I'm quite intense. I thought that moving it to Epsom would calm me down, and I would go. Actually, I, I don't like London anymore. I'm mentioning Ed Burnett, Larry Dean said I can't go a day without an Ed Burn story, so I'm probably on my third now. <laughs> Ed Burn came out to visit me in Victoria once, and I opened my front door, and he went, "Oh, I hate London." <laughs> First thing he said. Because he lives in Essex. Right. In a very quiet, beautiful part of Essex. Yeah. And, I mean, b- b- ridiculously picturesque. Sure. And he left London and he hated London coming back into it for an afternoon. But I wasn't like that. I thought that going to somewhere calm would have a calming effect on me because I maybe stress London so stressful it's pumping me up full of adrenaline in a bad way. But in actual fact, when I left it, I missed it because it, I need to feel alive. Right. It was just the volume was turned down. There wasn't enough going on. Yeah, I like busy. So like, yeah, I guess, I guess it would have felt strange, especially even if it was calming you down. Especially initially, that would feel very foreign. You'd be like, well, at first it felt what like is hol- this? Well, at first it felt like a holiday, the way that a change is fun. Oh, wow. But okay. then when, but the, when it reality set in, I was like, no, this is boring. I, I, like, I like people around me. I like stuff happening. I like to feel, you know, I, I like someone beeping a car and screaming at them. Yeah, I do, I like that too. I I love that energy. Like, but that one thing in London that I've I done. I don't quite that mean I, that, by the way. Oh, I mean, look, I I do. I love a, I love a good I love a good aggression in a city. You know, like everyone's trying to get somewhere. I like that. That makes me feel comfortable. But like the one thing in London that I can't, the driving man. I've had to do like two things to like drop rental cars off, or maybe three, and it's hell. Like I don't understand how people live in the city with a car, like in the middle of it. It's nuts. I do. You know, you you can you can deal with it. You can just cop everyone cutting you off, a thousand bicycles, like pedestrians going everywhere. Well, I didn't drive since I was forty. I did eighteen years as a non-driving comedian, which is quite an achievement in London. Having to get back from out of town, of course. And the thing that meant a lot of staying over in hotels. It meant a lot of Sunday service, bus replacement, coming home. And now I have the privilege of driving home at night and waking up in my own bed. Feels that, good. Oh, it feels amazing. Better than the traffic jam on the way out. Better than that stress on the M1. Well, no, I, I, I 
predominantly avoid that. Sometimes <laughs> getting from Epsom up north on M25 on a Friday was horrible. That was horrible. Sitting on a Virgin train with a coffee and a sandwich. Yeah. Getting to get beautiful. Manchester, two hours, five minutes. I've never driven to Manchester. I never will. But, <laughs> but it's nice to have the option. Yeah, of course. No, look, I get that. But I'm just like, that's the one. Like, because, yeah, another place that I'd think about living would be like LA and like the well, traffic no, no there. No one drives there, did he? No, everyone drives in LA. Oh, of course they do. New yeah, York, no one New drives. York, no one drives. Right, right. LA, everyone drives. And by all accounts, like I thought Sydney had pretty bad traffic, but LA, everyone's just like, man, you just you just strap in. You just like, you're, you, you get Stockholm Syndrome sets in before you get home. Like you are just in the situation. I always forget. You are trapped. Give me a, Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, where the people feel empathy for the kidnappers for the kidnappers, eventually right. Right. just because of the sheer amount of time right, right. they've spent there I get, I get so that wasn't it. funny but it was informative <laughs> rubbing off on I me. get no if you gave me a second I'd remember that but I only learned that the other day and there's Munchausen syndrome it's very different what's Munchausen's I think Munchausen is, is when a woman makes her baby ill so she can get sympathy right I should know that as an obsessive Law and Order fan Law and Order SVU you guys don't have that idea. No. Dude, it drives me it drives me crazy how proudly distinct from American culture you guys are sometimes. So I've just realized I'm just gonna get like emails from my website. Actually, Munchausen syndrome death. Actually, there are really oh, good schools in inner city. Nobody will Actually, correct. I saw you die at a club. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say the line, you missed your opportunity. Uh, um, but no, yeah, I, I find that have you done much in the States? Have you gigged over there? Done I've been to like Atlanta that? three times and I've been to Miami once. What? And Atlanta I, and Miami? Yeah, and I did a... <laughs> why Why then? Well, I did Last Comic Standing. Okay, yeah. Was that uh, films? I got through the, to the semi-finals. Right, but that was filmed in Atlanta or Miami? It was Miami. Yeah. And then I uh, gigged in Atlanta illegally. Okay. Um, Don't tell them. They take that shit very seriously. Um, and no, I, I, I was ill and it was legal. <laughs> and then I went... Um, to San Francisco on holiday and did a guest spot. Scott Capura got me a guest spot. It was, I was so nervous. I've been doing stand up for 10 years and I was yeah. walking to the gig from the hotel and my heart was pounding. And I turned around to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I said, I haven't felt this nervous since I was an open spot. And the reason is because I was an open spot again. Yeah. I was doing a gig in a country I'd never performed in. Like you said, you don't know what the science is. You mean, don't, don't know mean. what it means. And you don't know even if they're going to find you funny. Yeah. And I had to slow down and you're worried about phrases. I used the word thick instead of stupid. And that joke clunked. Because Man, they didn't know what thick meant. I was in Estonia on the weekends. Lovely. Most amount of atheists per capita in the world. Really? Mm, I also yeah. heard um, most models per capita. Oh, wow. So they're a sexy, amoral country. That's <laughs> what you want. That's the dream. Um, no, I checked this out for a weird... They didn't know what Guess Who was. The board game oh, Guess Who. You got joke about your, your face. Got the, got the Guess Who joke. The other one... No Pizza Hut. How weird is that? Did you go on stage and not check that out first? Of course not. I'm a charming fellow. I just paddled my way through it at the time. Fuck. But as if you would ever think to not a pizza, that'd be like, oh, do they have McDonald's here? No. Because they have McDonald's. I saw they had yeah, a McDonald's. I think everyone knows McDonald's is global, but I think, the, the, I mean, it's. I remember seeing American comedian, very good, Margaret Smith, very good comedian in Australia, and she did a, a radio recording. And she mentioned lifesavers. You don't have lifesavers in Australia. Like the candy. They're, like the polos, like polo mints. Yeah, we have those. Oh, do you? We do. Okay, yeah. so, sorry. 
Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I refuse to let an English comedian throw the stone here because you guys come across to Australia and you reference your British shit and we have no idea what you're talking well, about. Well, I, I, I bothered to, to take someone. I wonder what she did that wasn't, I mean, I got that wrong, obviously, but she did something that the audience didn't know. And I thought yeah. you only had to ask. I When I first did Just for Laughs in 98, I took a guy, uh, uh, Brent, one of the main guys, and I took him aside and I said, right, do you have this? Do you have to do that? Do that? And when yeah. I first went to Amsterdam, I did it with a bartender. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there will be a, a thing they don't know. And the other thing is, and there will be a thing. And the other thing is, um, the other way around is to patronize them and go, so, someone came up to me and said, we had a comedian here who asked us if we knew what a bus stop was. <laughs> and it's like, you know, check with the bartender, everything, yeah. or do what you do and just assume and then deal with it when it happens and be funny about it, right? But to patronize an audience, do you know what a bus stop is? Man, I, I was actually guilty of that here. Um, at one of my first gigs, like was in like Taunton, like in like a weird brewery, like right. near a village. What did you ask him? I was like, I was thinking about transgender people. Like, you guys, do you guys know about transgender people? Oh here? my God, that's so condescending. It is. And it was. That's not about the country. That's about the town. That, that's about yeah. Not, I didn't think in the UK. No, like, that, that like, makes that it worse. That makes it, that's worse because now you're not you're not going. I don't know anything about your country. You're actually saying I do know something about your town, and I'm going to make a, 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 a give you a very good idea of what I think about no, you by asking that question. I didn't know anything about the town. I just looked around and I looked at the people. This gig it wasn't like necessarily yeah, indicative yeah. of the population of the town. I just looked at the people in that room, and I was like, "You guys look like you're from 50 years ago. I better check." And they didn't like that. They they were like, yeah, like obviously. Yeah. That, I mean, that is quite... And you got a few penises thrown at you that they'd already just recently had removed. <laughs> From their ear. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that, it was just like, it, it was just one of those, that was really early on again. And just like, you just don't know what you, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. who are you people? But that was about a town, not a country, right? Yeah, that was about the specific town. Yeah. But that's about thinking less of them as a culture. It was it was about making a snap judgment based on they their appearance. They read the same papers. They read the same papers. But do, do they? Yes. What a, person in London reads the paper? The, they read a paper. We read a right, website. The difference you might find in a town like that is people's attitude towards it. Yeah. As opposed to them knowing about it. The the biggest mistake I've ever made was in um, Osaka in Japan. I fell in love with the place, and I said, "You know, what I love about it is just the respect," and the whole crowd booed me. Because they pride themselves on being more laid back than the rest of Japan, and they don't bow as low. Oh my god! They don't bow as low, and they're a bit more laid back. It's kind of the Brighton of 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 Japan. It's alternative Japan. It's a bit like going to Australia, uh, uh, to Liverpool, and saying on stage, "Do you know what about? You know, I love about Liverpool is you don't stick together." (laughs) <laughs> that would be the equivalent of that and uh, honestly they yeah. booed me the and expats this isn't just, just Japanese people the expat booed me because they are proud as as expats in Osaka that they're in the coolest place where you don't uh, they still right. bow in Japan but in, just in not Osaka, as low not yeah. as low and, and uh, um, what a what a niche way to put your foot in your mouth oh That's, man ugh. I once referred to I did a double up with uh, Leicester and Nottingham yeah, and I was on stage in Leicester, my second gig of the night, and I mentioned being in Nottingham. They would have hated that, right? Oh, it took me about eight minutes to win them back. But this in Australia, you'd be like, mate, you you got the towns fuck, you got the towns wrong, right? You, Whereas in England, it's like, mate, how could you possibly? Sure, but Melbourne think and Sydney that we're in Nottingham. Rivalry. Melbourne and Sydney have a rivalry, don't they? Like a like a fake one, like. Not, okay, another Red Burn reference. Not like a big deal. Another Red Burn reference. He told me in 1999 that TV shows produced in Melbourne got lower ratings in Sydney because they're Melbourne productions. 
Oh, I mean, look, maybe, but I, I doubt that was the reason. Like most TV in Australia is produced in Melbourne. Well, that's a good argument against that point. But, you know, everyone, okay. What if I mentioned being in New Zealand? Oh, uh, here we are. What if I mentioned <laughs> being in Australia when I was in New Zealand? How would that go down? They would not like it, but right. that is a completely different country. And even then, oh, I don't know. I, I always think, I, I do think you guys are much more geographically proud than we are, you know? Are you, are you proud of your nation rather than where you're from? Yeah, and even then, like, I think most Australians could cop jokes about Australia. Like, I mean, think about, you know, comedians coming over. They make fun of it all the time. Yeah, and we're yeah, like, sure. yeah, good. Manchester, Manchester and Liverpool have got a rival. I mean, in England, it's anywhere. Portsmouth, Southampton, Manchester, Liverpool, Glasgow, Edinburgh. Um, I think the, the Scottish one seems more intense. Like, Glasgow, Edinburgh, that seems more intense. But then also, like... Within Glasgow, like, you know, Celtics Rangers is more intense than Glasgow Edinburgh, yeah. right? I, just so I, like, di I died in front of 700 people at a corporate in Glasgow. It was a Scottish Bar and Pub of the Year Awards. Oof. I got offered cocaine twice by two different people after the show. There was whiskey <laughs> on the tables. Yeah, just bottles, ready no, to go. No, no little ones, but yeah. free samples. But nonetheless, they were drinking. These are the people that throw out drunks for a living. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their turn to be drunk. Oh, hell yeah. That's their uh, day. Yeah, it's like police and teachers are the worst audience because it's their chance to behave badly. Yeah, so yeah, right. they're hypocritical. I remember <laughs> 39 teachers in one group of 300, were, some of them were talking and I looked down and I said, you know, you spent all year having to deal with really rude people and now you've become them. And it got a round of applause from the whole audience. when they Wow. Realized, yeah, you are hypocritical. Please do it. I've had three Christmas parties ruined by one group. Yeah. The rest of them were lovely. Two were police, one were teachers. So anyway, these these are bar and pub owners, and I died badly to seven hundred <laughs> people. And then one bloke went, "You're you're shit." He was on the head table as well, which is just not appropriate. Yeah. And he, and I, it got to the point where I was going down in flames. So I'm sort of, I'm bringing him down with me. So he went, "You're you're not funny." And I just went, "Well, why would they book me for this event if I wasn't funny?" And then he went, well, you're not. And I said, and this is where I got really arrogant. I went, well, I've won awards. And he went, he went, not up here, you haven't. And I said, I have actually. I won an award at the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, Edinburgh's like Glasgow, but civilised. <laughs> and amongst the 700 people murmuring, talking, ignoring me, sudden... one table of four blokes, slimmer, more upright, in smart suits, good skin, <laughs> applauded like... Opera applause like that. <laughs> Clearly, they're from Edinburgh, and I'm not saying because they were slim and upright. I could, they, I, I could tell they're from Edinburgh because they were applauding. But the yeah. other thing is, these were big, burly, tattooed bar owners, yeah. and so these four slim blokes just like, look more like you. Cheers, mate. Yeah, just so lovely. It was like, oh, well done. I mean, as if, as if, as if people from Glasgow are going to. As if I'm going to win them back by saying Edinburgh's like Glasgow but civilised. As if I'm ever going to win them back. Yeah, but it's me going, you know what? Fuck all 700 of you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you Edinburgh's nicer than Glasgow. And the, and the fact of the matter is, four people like that joke out of 700. Oof. But it felt like I've just at least got four people. Yeah. That, you know, that four people of, you wouldn't have got otherwise. I, exactly. You may as well. I yeah. mean, you know. But I mean, the funny thing is they still offered you cocaine after, which speaks to the generosity of the Scottish people. It, um, which is contrary to the stereotype, of course. Of course. My mentor in comedy is Arnold Brown. Have you heard of Arnold Brown? I've never heard Glaswegian of Arnold Brown. Glaswegian comedian. He's, yeah. He was the first solo comedian to win the Perry in 1987. Right. He's at about 83 now. He, he's he got a line. He goes, good evening, I'm Arnold Brown, Scottish and Jewish. 
two stereotypes for the price of one. <laughs> he, he's got a, listen, this was my favorite Jewish joke ever. He says, yeah. people say to me, uh, what's Jewish people's contribution to society? And I always say, we've already given. <laughs> That's a good bit. Oh, it's wonderful. He's an amazing comedian. Arnold Brown, look him up. Is, is there is there the Borscht tradition here like there is in the States, like in comedy? Is there like a... I know there's like obviously a lot of Jewish comedians still, but like is there that kind of Borscht comedy? What is Borscht? Like mean? the old school, like, you know, those kind of jokes, like the quick kind of Jewish jokes. You know what I mean? Well, like the New York shtick kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. No, I don't think that has transcended over to England. I think that... Oh, but I mean, in the in the past, like is it kind of the evolution of comedy? Because that's like that's how it all kind of started, right? In like fifties. Yeah, the only Jewish comics I I I know I don't know any Jewish comics dating back part other than Alexis Sell in nineteen seventy nine. I don't think we had the equivalent of a Woody Allen or a Mozart in the sixties in England. I don't think we did. I think our famous comedians in the uh, in the thirties, forties, fifties were not Jewish. I I might be wrong, but I can't yeah. think of anyone. Well, where were they? Where were they from? Where was the kind of? Is it the working men's kind of the northern uh, stuff? That... Was Max Miller was sort of Cockney, I think. Yeah, um, a lot of the northern guys. Yeah, um, I, I suppose it came from working men's club thing, and the, not just working men's club, but the vaudeville days. And it wasn't. No, yeah. remember, you, this is the thing. There aren't many Jewish people in England, so statistically. Comedians aren't going to be many Jews because there aren't many Jewish people here. Sure. So you know, I London, North London's got a lot of Jewish people, but then Leeds has, Manchester has, and that's kind of it. You know, you go right. to places in England where there are no Jewish people at all. Why? Why do you think that is? Why isn't just like an escaping Europe kind of thing in general? Or I, just... I'm not up on my history. Andrew Maxwell would know the answer to this. Uh-huh. I don't know, but but the the thing is, um, you know, there there aren't. I it's a, I don't know the number, but it's like something tiny, like like half a million or a million it's, it's a really small percentage of the country in the entire uk it, yeah because there wow. were there were there were massive places with none yeah or, or next to none yeah i get you, know, you it's like you know black and asian people in london you know everywhere you look there are black and asian people and then you go to some town to do a gig i've got a joke that i need there to be a black person an asian person and white person in the room to do the joke and there are towns are going and i'm looking for the there's not one non-white face 200 yeah. people oh yeah but that that's something that I don't know. I guess I kind of took for granted. No, but you would, uh, <laughs> but you wouldn't notice if there weren't any Jewish people because they don't look as noticeably different in an audience. Well, yeah, you, you're not gonna. You know what I mean? So my point is, you're not gonna know the small town that doesn't have black people, doesn't have Jewish people either, because you're not gonna notice. Of them. course. So yeah. that's that's why it's always a surprise to people when they find out how few Jewish people there are in in England. If you live in London, I mean, you know, New York's got a Jewishness to it, hasn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's like you know the whole thing Seinfeld. Like people like too New York, too Jewish. That was the criticism of the show Is that before right? it got to air. Yeah, because like it's it's like such a New York Jewish show, and then they're like, who's going to get that in the Midwest? You know, and they did, and they did. Right. I mean, probably not to the same degree as New York, but you know, still still got it. But I I mean, I just found it interesting because the way that I think I was more raised on American comedy than UK comedy. Just like that's just how it trickled down to me. Right. And so I find it weird because like you go to the States, like the Jewish people is like the butt of a joke or is the setup of a joke because people inherently know the culture. Laughing at themselves. Laughing at themselves. Right, right. Or like, you know, like Jewish people have a, the stereotype is that they're doing well. Like, gotcha. No, yeah. And here, like people don't do that. Like it's very rarely mentioned. Ben Elton, who was my hero as a, as a teenager, didn't even mention being Jewish. His comedy didn't, didn't even mention it. Uh, I don't think he even mentioned it once. Um, Alexis Sell did a little bit, um, but that was more about his 
ancestry rather than the, the, uh, the country that his ancestors came from rather than him being Jewish. Sure. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen did characters, didn't he? They were never Jewish characters. Yeah. Ali G, um, Borat, they were, um, they, you know, uh, Matt Lucas is Jewish. David Baddiel is the only comedian of our time bit from England I can think who actually talks about being Jewish yeah. a lot. You know, his Twitter profile heading just says Jew. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, yeah, so so we had a lot of great Jewish comedians in England uh, of, of my generation and just before my generation. But no, no, it was never really... But again... It, it, it wasn't it, at the forefront of their no, comedy. because if there's only... Let's say it's at half a million that's not enough for it to impact the, the society and know enough about it. Right, you know, that the makes only thing sense, that, yeah. You know, in the 70s, Jewish jokes were made by racist comedians doing jokes about Jews being mean. Right, it wasn't, was it. It wasn't, about, it wasn't done by Jews talking about being no. Jewish. And it, it was, was never, yeah. and it was never um, acknowledged the Jewish... Because I love, you know, most of my favourite pub jokes are Jewish jokes, and they're, right. they're high status, you know, they laugh and get a, yeah. a Jewish guy being deluded that he's got something, achieved something when he hasn't, or... You know, or someone being a little bit demanding and being, um, you know, the, the line about the old Jewish lady with her grandson on the beach. And no. a wave comes in and sweeps her grandson away. And uh, she gets down on her knees and she says, Dear father, my, you've just taken my only grandson away. It's the most important thing in my life. And I've, I've been from my whole life. I've, I've prayed every day. I've gone to synagogue every week. Please, please, please return him. And a wave comes back and swoops him back on his feet exactly where he was before. Yeah. And she looks up and she goes, he had a hat. <laughs> it's classic. a great joke. Yeah, yeah. It's a great joke. But that, yeah. you know, for that to be funny, you need to understand the high status, the, the, the demandingness or the expectation that Jewish people have in restaurants or, you know, there's of course, a Jewish, yeah. uh, for a Jewish lady have dinner in a restaurant. And at the end, the manager comes over and he says, so was anything okay? Yeah. You know, that complainingness, that, that, you know, need for everything to be how you want it. That has to filter through to society enough for it to be, to the joke exist. And and there's just not the, there's well, that, not enough people to, for them to see it firsthand, I guess. They no. just know it as a stereotype. So this is the question. Right. Does that joke get told in Taunton? Oof, no. Good question, right? I don't think any jokes get told in Taunton. <laughs> but does that joke, you know, I remember a guy came up to me at a, a, a gig the other day and he was from, uh, Israel, and he said, "Oh, here's a joke. Here's a joke. Yeah. Uh, how does a Palestinian take um, Viagra?" And he mimed holding a pill, yeah. licking it, looking down at his penis, licking it, looking down at his penis. I didn't get it. Right. And then he went, "Because they're mean." He assumed I knew that. That isn't that weird. Yeah. When... The, the Jews are looking at the Palestinians. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Oh. Just like that thing where I've had that. I've had. I've been in the states, and people have told me stereotypes about. Groups you just don't know, and they get weirded out that you yeah, don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's it like, wait, do you just think this is a universal truth? But what's funny was that you know Jews have had put up with so much you know criticism about the mean stereotype, which which arguably comes from Shylock, the Merchant of Venice. Sure. It also, a lot of Jews were given jobs, being told you're a moneylender. That's your job. Well, that so, was because the Jewish religion was the only one that allowed interest to be made, so they could have the banks and that. No? I, didn't, I didn't know that, but there were oh, people. Okay. There were people. There were people told that yeah. their job was money. This is the only job you can do. Yeah. So anyway, the point is that there's this Jewish guy telling me a joke about a Palestinian being mean, which is a lovely irony that you know they've got the one they look down on with regard to meanness. Right. Uh, but the bottom line was, I'm not going to laugh at that joke unless I know the motive for why he's doing what he's doing. I'm going. Why is he licking a Viagra? I mean, I don't. I don't follow the news here particularly closely. I don't know why. I should. I live here, but I just don't. I can't. 
get in. But there's been a lot of talk of like anti-Semitism and like issues. Or the Labour Party and all that. Yeah. Like, do you, I mean, you've said like you're not really Jewish, so it probably doesn't impact you particularly. Well, uh, But like, do you think there's more sensitivity here than somewhere in like somewhere like the States? Because it is a smaller population? I I, I certainly think in comedy there is because they they're able to laugh at each other you know american comics are obsessed with race yeah well, i'm from i'm puerto rican so we eat this at home and everyone's laughing we do this and we do this they kind of you know the average hat comic in the states goes on and just says what their culture does but you got to get out of here man we're four o'clock we we made it don't tell me when i've got to leave you you told are, are me you're kicking me out of your you, house you gave me a strict time oh yeah limit. I, I, yes i have you to get, did yeah i have to get back to my car to drive in traffic, drive in traffic with my vape and my red hat <laughs> and my smartwatch. Proper oh my London. God, I'm a fucking London idiot. No, you're not a London idiot. I'm a product. You're a, you're a Londoner. I like it. I, I, I'm jealous of people here just dressing however they want. It took me moving here to start wearing tracksuits and I fucking love that. Well, I don't, in all fairness, I'm wearing blue jeans, plain grey t-shirt and brown leather shoes. It's not like I'm wearing anything racky other than a red hat. No, but you just, I, I like it because you're just like, that looks cool. I'll do that. Okay. Whereas me, when I'm like, that looks cool. Uh, maybe, maybe someone might think I'm a douche. I'm <laughs> Fair enough. I'd not do it. Fair enough. That's just my vibe. Anyway, um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Is there, is there anything you want to plug? Anywhere people can find you? Anything like that? I'm not doing anything major at the moment. My name's Adam Bloom. If you uh, Google me, you see my website with live dates uh, on Twitter. I'm uh, oh, this is what I don't like comedians who end their set by listening off their social media I think they should then go home and tweet the joke they've deprived the audience of hearing <laughs> the last thing you should say on stage should be funny surely well I mean some people do the little social media update before the final joke that's not so bad yeah but leave the audience that? laughing yeah well look I don't know I, I'm bad at it I like a cool exit that's my flavour as in saying something funny first um, no I, I just always forget to do my social media because I think it sounds douchey I, I, so I'm it, just like, yeah, cheers, bye. It's off. an advert break during the show. How about that? Yeah, it is. It's it's you just putting your thing out. I think if it's your own show, it's different. If it's yeah, your but, own show, take a minute before you close or after still, you close. But still don't end on social media. Yeah. Say, say it towards the end. Make a joke about it. Arj Bark used to sit, plug a CD at the end and be funny yeah. talking about his CD. Yeah. Well, that's the ultimate, isn't it? He's going to sell CDs and he's made you laugh about it. So he's left you laughing and made you want to buy the CD because he's been funny while holding it in his hand, which is good, you know, Yeah. Uh, NLP. <laughs> that thing must be funny because he's holding it being funny. It can't be bad if you're making yeah, funny yeah, and talking yeah. about it. But... I think, yeah, do not end your set. So when I just said, where can people find you or whatever you ask me, uh, I just went, I've just almost done that. So let's not end on that sentence. Let's forget I'm on social media. Yeah. I will go out and do some graffiti. Do you, do you want to make me laugh? Do you want to <laughs> put, a, put a quick joke I, out there? Do, do you know what? It hasn't been a, a funny interview, has it? It's been a quite serious interview. Let's end on something serious. Sure. What would, what would you like? What, what serious thing would you like to end on? Uh, I actually think you've been very funny. Oh, thank you. My bladder is getting weaker as I get older. And I, it's horrible reality, but I need a wee quicker than I used to. My, my alarm now goes for, from, you might need a wee, to like 20 minutes later, you've got to go now. Now <laughs> it's like, fine, 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 fine. You've got to wee now! And it's like, fuck, I've got to piss. And so right now, I need to wee. Okay. So I'd like to leave by letting you know, if you're in your 20s and 30s and you need a wee and you can hold... <laughs> You will wet yourself one day. You will wet yourself. And then you'll go, oh, those were the days when right. I didn't wet myself. I wet myself the other day. That was not funny. You wet yourself the other day? I was at a party. I'd had a lot to drink. I mean, that's pretty funny, wetting yourself at a party. Phil Nichols. I had to bore some jeans for <laughs> Adam Bloom, pleasure.
ladies and gentlemen, that was my chat with Adam Bloom, the incredible comedy mind of Adam Bloom. Talking to him is like talking to every comedian from his generation. That is how often he quotes other people and their jokes and recites other people's act. Man, he is focused. It is crazy. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that chat. Uh, Also talking to him about growing up in London, staying in London, and then finding even the outer suburbs of London. Not quite enough London for him. He wanted, he wanted to stay central. He wanted to keep that mash of people together. And naturally, I was super jealous of his ability to just wear and do whatever he likes because as an Australian person, I can't help but hear the word wanker in my head whenever I do anything that isn't wear a t-shirt and jeans and talk about sport. Is that an exaggeration? Not really. Uh, I think that's pretty accurate if I'm being honest. Uh, but no, great chatting to him. Uh, he's always super fascinating um, for me, especially just telling tales of how things used to be because he's been going 25 years around the UK. Um, one thing just before we end this, I just wanted to clarify what we're saying about the Jewish population in the UK. I was shocked when he said it was that low. Uh, I, was, I was very curious. And so I looked it up. And according to the Wikipedia's the United Kingdom Jewish population is 290,000. Oh, sorry, 200, yeah, 290,000 uh, with a 4.44 Jewish people per 1,000 of population. Now, for some comparison, in the US, because we're talking about the US in terms of their comedy and its Jewish roots, it's 5.7 million and 17.75 per thousand population australia actually has more jewish people per population per 1000 than uh the uk slightly higher per capita but only 113,000 um according to this survey um yeah i was i was really confused by that um just because i figured you know obviously with the holocaust and everything that happens in uh the uk Oh, sorry, not in the UK. Jeez, the Holocaust didn't happen in the UK. Uh, The Holocaust and everything that happened, I thought the UK would have been another safe place for them to immigrate like the US because that's obviously what triggered that population increase there. And um, I'm just, you know, there's more people, more Jewish people in France than there is in the UK, Um, even though that was obviously closer to the actual war zone and Nazi-occupied territory. Um, So if if anyone knows, if we have... If we have any historians, uh, any Jewish listeners, anything like that, um, if you guys know the reason why the population is quite low here, as Adam said, there's only really communities in three cities, um, please let me know. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And um, just, just for anyone wondering, uh, Israel, uh, the Jewish population is 6.3 million, so only 600,000 more than in the US, but per 1,000 population, it is 748. So significantly higher there, as you might expect in the country of Israel. Uh, yeah, so um, I, was, I was confused by that, uh, why it was so low. Um, if anyone has an answer, I would love to hear from you. Please get at me on Twitter, at Dan Muggleton, or Instagram. I will ex- respond to your message requests. I'm a fun guy like that. Uh, yeah, so that was my chat with Adam Bloom. I'm sorry this thing is coming out so late. Uh, this last week has been pretty wild. 
I've I've had those gigs in the Netherlands and then I've been in Poland as well as outside of London the majority of the time and I don't know if you can tell by listening to my voice but I have been quite sick as well my first English sickness I almost contemplated getting a national insurance number almost but I refuse I refuse to cash in on what I already paid the government to use the NHS because I know you British people love your bloody NHS and you don't want anyone else getting involved with it. Anyway, uh, sorry I've been so late, but I promise this week on Tuesday, uh, I'm going to have the first of a two-part episode with Phil Nickel, uh, which is a great chat, super interesting. That guy has had such an amazing career in many different countries. Uh, so check that out on Tuesday. And as always, if you want to get in touch, you can grab me on email, muggletondaniel at gmail.com or just the Twitter or the Instagram or hit up the Union Jack Off on Facebook. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'll be back with your regular scheduled programming from next week, Jerk Offs. It's been a pleasure. Wrap your ears around next week's episode with Phil Nickel. Get excited about that. Cheers. Bye. Bye.